Excuses Christians Use for Not Keeping the Law of God. Now, this one is very familiar. It's a statement, sort of like um, an absolute statement, and once they say this, that's it, you know. Well, the statement is this. uh, We're not under the Old Covenant. We're under the New Covenant. And I think the way Christians can view this, or a lot of Christians can view this, is that, you know, the Old Covenant were these collection of ridiculous laws that, you know, no one could could keep anyway, and that grace frees us in the New Covenant. Grace frees us from all law. In other words, you had these, these laws in the Old Testament that just, that people could just, there, there was no way that anyone could keep those laws. And the New Testament, it's all about love. It's all about mercy. It's all about grace. It's all about Jesus Christ and his grace. And somehow, some way, Jesus, you know, they will say, fulfilled the law. Or you'll have preachers say, Jesus abolished the law. He nailed it to his cross. He did away with it. We're not under the law. So it's sort of a a blanket statement, you know. Well, we're not under the old covenant. And boom, that's it. Don't talk to me anymore. That, you know, we're under the new covenant. And the new covenant frees us from any type of law keeping. That's the illusion. Is That Really in the Bible presents the teaching ministry of David Freeman. Now I want to look at something that Jesus said about the law and doing the right thing that I think a lot of people just simply overlook as far as, okay, what do we really earn by doing the right thing? How many brownie points do we really get for speaking the truth and and, and, and not cheating our neighbor and not lying or whatever? Let's notice Luke 17 and verse 7. But which of you, having a servant plowing or feeding cattle, will say unto him by and by when he's coming from the field, Go and sit down to meet, and will not rather say unto him, Make ready wherewith I may sup, and gird thyself, and serve me till I have eaten and drunken, and afterwards you shall eat and drink? goes on to say in verse 9, does he think that servant because he did the things that were commanded him? I don't think so. Now this is interesting because we have servants, they're called workers that work for us. I'm part owner of a business. We do masonry work and We hire them to do the work. That's the reason they come to us wanting a job. They want a job, and we give them a job. And and when they do their job, okay, do we thank them for doing their job? Well, Jesus would say, I don't think so. They're just simply doing what they're told. And that's my point. We we don't thank them. You know, we don't say, oh, I'm just so glad you showed up to work today. I am just, I don't know what we'd do without y'all. Well, yes, I do know what we would do. We would hire somebody else. But, uh, you know, you know, I'm just, oh, man, I'm just so glad you're here that you, you showed up to work. No, 
No, we don't. And then when they do their work, oh, I'm just so glad you did what you were told to do. No, no. We don't thank them for doing what they're told. Now, as a servant, we miss this when it comes to the law of God, that we are, number one, servants. And Jesus continues on in Luke 17, verse 10. He says, so likewise you, when you have done all these things which are commanded you, say, we are unprofitable servants. We have done that which was our duty to do. So what do we earn by keeping the law? We earn salvation, right? No, no, that's that's not the role of the law. The, 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 the role of the law is not to, you know, it, it can't save you. Salvation comes by grace, God's pardoning, forgiveness of our sins, for which we really do not deserve, but upon repentance, if you repent, and that's a big if, you can be freely forgiven. But what do we earn by keeping the law? Well, we don't really, according to Jesus, you know, he, he comes along and he says, now, 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 when you have done all these things commanded you, you know, we're talking about the Ten Commandments here. You, okay, you've kept the Ten Commandments. What you are to say to God or and to yourself is, we're unprofitable at that point. We have done that which was our duty to do. Duty. That's an interesting word. You know, if you want your society to work, there is a duty that we all have towards one another. I mean, it is my neighbor's duty not to steal my stuff. It is my neighbor's duty, and vice versa. I don't steal his stuff either. It is my neighbor's duty not to hit on my wife, you know. It is my neighbor's duty to keep the law of God. And that makes a great neighbor. But once he has done that, he's just done his duty. I mean, he's done. he doesn't earn anything. He doesn't earn any brownie points. He's just doing what makes his life and my life, you know, work together in harmony. It's what makes a society work, the duty that a society has toward keeping the law of God. Now, we as a society are drifting so far away from that daily at a speed like, you know, like a, you know, the, the song, I forget what it was, but like, like a snowball hit it toward hell, downhill, whatever, something like that. Um, uh, but, but we're just drifting away from any type of duty toward the Ten Commandments. I mean, we're really headed downhill fast. I mean, today's youth, you talk about morality and they don't even know what you're talking about. You know, okay, you're supposed to be honest. Really? I didn't know. You're supposed to be faithful. Why would you be faithful? You're not supposed to screw around, hell around, whatever. Well, why? You know, they don't even know what morality is. We, we are living in a society where today's youth don't even know the definition or the meaning of what it means to be a moral, upright person. And so Jesus comes along and says, look, this is your duty to do to make your society work but once you've done your duty you have no brownie points you have no stars you can stick on your you know your your blackboard or whatever no you're you've just done what was your duty to do it's what makes your life and your society 
work. Okay, let's take a look at Jeremiah 31 and verse 31. It says, Behold, the day comes, says the Lord, that I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Okay, what is this new covenant? I mean, what do you think the new what, what do you think the new covenant is? Grace plus nothing, right? Uh, it's uh, Jesus abolished the law. Uh, the new covenant, grace frees us from the necessity to keep the law of God. Is that what the new covenant is? Well, how about reading your Bible? Jeremiah 31 and verse 32 goes on to explain it. Not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, which my covenant they break. Although I was a husband unto them, says the Lord. Now, let's let's talk about, for just for a moment, this old covenant. What was the old covenant? Well, it was the law of God written on stone, supervised by men and the church and church authority. It's really what the old covenant was I mean, now what was wrong with the old covenant? Did you know the Bible answers that? And the answer is going to shock you. What was wrong with the old covenant? Well, I know what was wrong with the old covenant. It was those nasty laws that God gave. It was those laws that nobody could keep. That's what's wrong with the old covenant. All right, let's let's let your Bible. You know, don't believe me. Believe your Bible. If you can't prove it from the Bible. You have nothing to stand on. Your opinion doesn't mean anything to anybody. Okay, Hebrews 8 and verse 7. We're asking, what was wrong with the old covenant? For if, for if that first covenant, the old covenant, had been faultless, then there should be no place to have been sought for a second. For finding fault with them. Uh-oh, who's them? What's well, the people. Yes, the people. He says... Behold, the day comes, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Now, you've been taught probably all of your life in church, if you've been in church all your life, or you're a baptized member of the Baptist or Catholic church or whatever, you know, take your pick. It doesn't really matter because they all say the same thing. Uh, You've been taught that the problem with the old covenant was with God. Uh, he, he gave these ridiculous laws that no one could keep. He's sort of a, like, you know, like a buffoonish God that really doesn't know what he's doing. He gives laws and he says, oops, I didn't know they couldn't keep those. And, and uh, he has to drop back and punt and come up with a different plan, a different idea. No, but, but you see, the reality, but your truth of the matter is, this says, in Hebrews 8 and verse 8, that the fault... We're talking about what was the fault. What was the screw-up? Well, we are the screw-up. For finding fault with them, he says, Behold, the day comes, says the Lord, that I will make a new covenant, the house of Israel and the house of Judah. So we just have to realize that you've been lied to about the Bible. What you think is in the Bible is not in there. You know, you just you just go around with these illusions uh, that, that you, just, you just make this stuff off the top of your head. You know, you just, well, no, you don't make it up off the top of your head. You've been brainwashed by men in the cemetery school. Did I say cemetery school? I meant seminary school. But you've been brainwashed by those people who told you and led you to believe that the problem was with the old covenant was with God. He just gave these bad laws. All right. <clears throat> Jeremiah 31 and verse 33. 
But this shall be the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. All right, let's let's see what it is. What's what's this new covenant all about? It's about grace plus nothing. It's about the law's been abolished. We gotta get that nasty stuff out of the way. All right, here it is. After those days, says the Lord, I will put my laws in their inward parts. I will write it in their hearts, and will be their God, and they shall be my people. You know, this this is the exact opposite. The new covenant says. We're not going to abolish, abolish the law. We're not going to nail it to the cross. It's not grace plus nothing. Again, you've been lied to about the Bible. And I wonder sometimes, you know, the program that I do, is that, is that really in the Bible? I talk about that a lot, that you've been lied to about the Bible, and, and it's like no one cares. Okay, yeah, I have been, but I keep, I keep going to the same church. I keep listening to the same messages. I never have the gumption to do anything about it. I just keep showing up at church and, and, and hoping maybe one day they won't tell me any lies. You know, maybe they'll wake up and smell the roses. No, that's 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 you know, it'd be a cold day in hell when that happens. But uh, you know, you can you can keep waiting for it, but it's it's not going to happen. Jeremiah thirty-one and verse thirty-four. And they shall teach no more every man his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me. From the least of them unto the greatest of them, says the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more. And that's part of the new covenant right there. For I will forgive their iniquities and remember their sins no more. How will this occur? Well, it occurs with the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, which goes backwards, and it goes forward in the future. That's, that one sacrifice, what Christ did for us, covers people in the past, and it will cover people in the future. All right. So what are we talking about this new covenant? Well, by a process called conversion. Well, let's back up. By process, First of all, God has to call you. This new covenant, God has to call an individual. You know, no, Jesus said, no man can come to me unless the Father draw him. People just don't wake up and say, I'm going to get religious today. That's not how it works. Uh, God has to call you. It's a drawing process. God draws you to him. And then through repentance of your sins, which is the breaking of God's law, 1 John 3, 4, sin is the breaking of God's law, the Ten Commandments. If you repent of that, if, if you repent of that, and yes, that includes the Fourth Commandment. There's no commandments excluded, okay? A lot of people go to church and they exclude one of the Ten Commandments. It's, it's the Fourth Commandment to keep the Sabbath day. No, your 45-minute worship service and then out the door, light up a cigarette and go back to work, what, that's not cutting it. That's, a, that's not a Sabbath. Okay, that's not the Sabbath either. Sunday is the first work day of the week. Look it up in your dictionary. Don't believe me. Believe your dictionary. Look up the word Sunday. Look up the word Saturday in your dictionary and tell me what it says. It says Saturday is the seventh day of the week. It says Sunday is the first day of the week. That's what it says. Now, we're going to bank bank on things. Let's bank on truth. Let, let's not just make this stuff up and just emotionally feel like we're doing the right thing. You got to have, you got to back up what you believe. Okay. So the new covenant, by process called conversion, by grace and forgiveness of our sins, by the power of the Holy Spirit, 
And, and what is the Holy Spirit? What is the power of the Holy Spirit? Well, it's when the Father and the Son live inside of your temple. You know, Jesus talked about, you know, if any man will love me, he said, we, we will come, we, Father and Son, will come and make our abode with him. What is that like when the Father and the Son move into your temple and they live inside of you? That really, when you talk about what is the power of the Holy Spirit, first of all, it has an agenda, the power of the Holy Spirit. It's not to make you look like a buffoon. The power of the Holy Spirit, it's, it's the Father and the Son living on the inside of you. Now, what do you think that accomplishes when the Father and the Son live on the inside of you? Does it make you look foolish? Does it make, is, there, is their greatest agenda to make, to make you speak in a gibberish that no one understands? That really makes you look silly. What's well, a good carnival show? But you know, if you want, if you like a carnival show, but I, if, I go to a circus when I want to see a good show. But uh, I don't go to church. But some people go to church when they want they want like a circus show, and they want to see people doing strange things like jumping around and jerking and wallowing on the ground and uh, spirit of laughter, really just looking like an idiot, and they think that's of God. God's not the author of confusion. The devil is the author of confusion. If you're confused in a church, like, I don't understand a word that person said. I don't understand that gibberish. I don't get it. And let me tell you something about tongues. If you're in an English-speaking church, and everybody there speaks English, and your minister speaks English, there is no need for the gift of tongues. Why, why would I say it? Because it's the gift of languages. Look it up for yourself. Don't believe me. Believe your Bible. The word tongues means languages. They were given the gift of languages to communicate. They have been told to go ye therefore into all the world. Spread the gospel. They're sitting around thinking, how am I going to? The disciples are sitting around thinking, how am I going to do this? I can only speak one dialect. And then they were given on the Pentecost the day, the gift of languages. Okay, put two and two together. Now we have the power to communicate, to spread the gospel. That's the meaning behind the gift. You always want to ask the question, what is the meaning behind the gift? Why did God give the gift in the first place? God does not, no gift of the Spirit is self-serving. It's not about you. It's not to make you look spiritual or you think, it, what it really makes you look like is an idiot, but speaking in tongues, but it's not to make you look spiritual. It's not one-upsmanship, I can do this, you can't. That's not what it's about. It's never been about that. It was the meaning behind the gift is to communicate. If you're in a church and you speak English and everybody there speaks English and the minister speaks English and there's no difficulty in communicating and all of a sudden, someone cuts loose with a bunch of jibber-jabber that no one understands. Get out. You're under the oppression of the diabolical one. You're being influenced by satanic power. Now, if you don't mind that, well, stay there. But I'm telling you the truth. I'm telling you the truth. You need to know that there are two deeply spirit, spirit beings who are deeply religious. God and Satan. Satan is deeply religious. He really is. He always has been. And that's how he deceives people, by being deeply religious. It's counterfeit. It's a counterfeit. Counterfeit power. Oh, yeah. 
But what I'm saying is the power of the Holy Spirit, the Father and the Son living on inside of you, inside of your temple, is for it's their agenda is to write their law, his law, God's law, on your heart, upon your mind, upon your spirit, that you can be an overcomer and that you can submit to God's will by doing what he says to do. God is going to write. The new covenant says God's going to write his laws in our hearts and in our minds. And the asinine teaching that the new covenant dismisses the law of God is absolute insanity. It's an issue. The new covenant is an issue of locality. Before, in the old, it was written on stone, supervised by men in the church and church authority. Now the law in the new covenant becomes internal written upon the heart of mankind. What God wants is his law written upon our hearts at a personal level. That's what written upon the heart means. You don't teach the law of God. Listen closely. You don't teach the law of God as an external authority. You teach it as an internal authority. It's what you do. It's what you are. It's who you are. The law of God written upon your heart and mind. The law of God is simply a reflection of the character of God. In Luke 4 and verse 4, it says, It is written that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. Now, when this was written, the New Testament had not been written. You had the Pentateuch, which is the Old Testament. But what words are we to avoid? You know, when it comes, are we to avoid? Jesus said, it is written that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. Or, well, do we exclude the law of God? Yeah, that's, that takes a bright person to come up with that. Well, the law has been abolished. It's been nailed to the cross. I know, you know Jesus said we should live by every word of God, but that excludes the law. What kind of buffoon would say that? Do you realize there are many buffoons in religion? that speak behind pulpits, buffoons. Yeah, buffoons. I'm telling you the truth. I mean, you, you have to face this reality. There are a lot of buffoons on the radio talking. There's a lot of buffoons on Sunday morning talking. Buffoons. Jesus came in the flesh to reveal the Father. He showed that God's law would be in force until heaven and earth should pass away. That's Matthew 5 and verse 18. He didn't come to destroy God's law, but to fulfill it. And fulfill means to do or perform, not do away with. You know, people twist that scripture around. You know, it's Thayer's uh, Bible concordance definition. It says the word fulfill in that verse means to perform as it should be, to do and perform as it should be. The word, for, you know, Jesus came to fulfill, to do and perform, to obey as it should be. Excuse me, there's the word. To obey as it should be. That's Thayer's definition of that word fulfill. To obey as it should be. So Jesus came to obey the law as it should be, which he, he did, didn't he? If he didn't, we wouldn't have a Savior, okay? So that's what the word means. All right. And when a, man, a young man asked Jesus how to be saved, you know, good master, what must I do to be saved? He said, keep the commandments. That's Matthew 19 and verse 17. You know, do me a favor. If you don't believe in keeping the Ten Commandments, don't call yourself a Christian. You know, you can can your Christianity. You can give it up. And you should. 
If you if you don't believe in keeping the Ten Commandments, you should just find another occupation, for pity's sakes, because you're a hypocrite. You're giving the name of God a bad rap. You're giving God, I mean, you're, you're making God look bad by teaching some kind of nonsense like the law's been abolished or fulfilled or done away with. Now, if you're a layperson, not deeply religious, you actually have an advantage. I have found, you know, it was Jesus could communicate to sinners. It was the religious people that, that first of all killed him and gave him such a hard time. And I found that is still true today. The sinner, the layperson, not deeply religious, you do have an advantage as far as coming. That is, if you haven't been brainwashed by mainstream churchianity, you do have an advantage to getting to know God. I mean, you're actually one up above most religious people because you haven't been brainwashed. But if you're a layperson, not deeply religious, I'm going to show you how to prove that the law of God has not been done away with. You're going to absolutely be able to prove this by an experiment. So far, so far with all these uh, 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 lessons and series we've been going through on excuses Christians use for not keeping the law of God, I mean, we've been through a lot. We, we've listed all kinds of texts that people will use to try to say the law has been, been abolished. We, we've talked about Romans 10 and verse 4. Christ is the end of the law for righteousness. I explained this, that the word end means the point or the aim or goal of. So Christ is the goal, the aim, the point of the law for righteousness. We explained that one. We've gone through Colossians 2 and verse 14, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us which was contrary to us and took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. We talked about the, the handwriting of ordinances were the commandments and tradition of men, not the Ten Commandments. We've taken, we looked at Ephesians 2 and verse 14. Jesus has broken down the middle wall of partition between us, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments contained in ordinances, and we talked about that this middle wall of partition was laws that actually separated Jewish laws that separated Jew from Gentile. We've talked about the book of Galatians, that the law was our schoolmaster to bring us into Christ, that we might be justified by faith. But after that faith has come, we are no longer under a schoolmaster and that the schoolmaster were, were the sacrificial laws that all pointed to Christ, our Messiah that led us to Christ. We've talked about Jesus' statement, think not that I've come to abolish the law, but to fulfill. And we've talked about fulfill means to do or perform, not do away with. And we talked about how Thayer's definition is, is to obey as it should be of that word fulfill. We've talked about the new covenant and that far from doing away with God's law, God is going to write his law with the new covenant upon our hearts and upon our minds. So having said all that, I'm going to show you how you, the individual, can do this. Prove that the law has not been done away with or abolished. And it's a simple test, experiment. You don't need a preacher. You don't need me. You don't need a church. And you don't need any help from your religious friends to do this. I'm going to reveal the absolute way you, the individual, can prove beyond a shadow of a doubt whether the law of God has been abolished or not. It's what I call circumstantial evidence. All right, let's take the law of gravity. Imagine a preacher getting up on Sunday morning and saying, the law of gravity has been abolished. Now, how would you prove that? 
Now, I'm sad to say that a lot of Christians would believe it uh, just because he said it. You know, we just don't test things. We don't put things to the test. And that's what I'm talking about. I'm going to show you how to put this to the test. Okay, you know, he got up there thumping his Bible, sweating, wiping his brow, you know, pacing back and forth. I tell you, the law of gravity has been abolished. Uh, you know, how would you prove that? Well, i tell you how you can prove that. Go jump off a four-story building. And you would find out whether or not the law of gravity has been abolished. You'd find out a little too late, though. Uh, once you splatter on the concrete, you'd find out all that so-and-so lied to me. He lied to me. Now, here's the problem. If you're, if you're being believing a lie, if you are believing a lie, the law's been abolished. You're going to splatter. And, but the thing about it, it's going to be a little too late. When you stand before God and say, but God, all these preachers told me it's been abolished. It's been fulfilled. It's been done away with. It's a little too late to do the right thing now. Or it will be a little too late for you to do the right thing now. What I'm saying is this. In this experimental test, how can you prove that the law of God is still in existence? As long as there are consequences for breaking God's law, that tells you what? It tells you that the law still exists. Have you ever suffered the consequences of a speeding ticket? Why? Well, you broke a law. You got a ticket. That told you what? It to- that tells you there must have been a st- uh, there must have been a speeding sign that I, I I overlooked that thing. Maybe the state had it covered up, hid it from you, whatever. Whatever your excuse is, but you know that law was still there. Adultery. Are there still consequences for committing adultery? Well, sure there are. I mean, there's STDs. There's child support. You know? I mean, (laughs) okay, you're cheating on your wife, and you got four children. Okay, if she files for a divorce, 70, over 70% of your income is going to go for child support. You know, that's a lot. Uh, you make 170 goes to her because for these four children. All right, that's consequences. All right, STDs, that's consequences. Family and children have no respect for you. That's consequences. Well, what do we learn from this? Well, we learn, evidently, the seventh commandment, thou shall not commit adultery, still is there. Honor your father and mother, as the Lord thy God has commanded thee that your days may be prolonged and that it may go well with you in the land which the Lord thy God has given you. Here's here's the commandment. Are there consequences for not honoring your father and mother? Yeah, a short life, and it's not going to go well with you. This says you honor your father and mother, and your days are going to be prolonged. You don't honor your father and mother, and you're going to have short days. You're not going to live that long. And it's not going to go well if there are consequences to these laws, which tells you none of them have been done away with. In order to abolish a law, you have to abolish the consequences that go with breaking that law. You cannot abolish laws of morality. Put that in your pipe and smoke it. You can't. Just because your preacher says it doesn't make it so. You know, no thinking person would believe it. When the preacher gets up there and says, well, the law's been abolished. It's been nailed to the cross. It's been done away. Jesus did away with it. You know, I say no thinking person, and that's a problem. No one thinks at church anymore. Well, I don't know if they ever have thought very much anyway. They're just sort of there to pass the time. Let's get out of here. 
the last amen and you hear the door swish and you're out and everybody disappears you know it's a pep rally it's a pep rally that makes you feel good about yourself the assurance that you're heaven bound yeah all right how else do we know the law has not been abolished well sin sin okay sin is 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 sin still a problem today is law breaking still a problem today do we have prisons why are people in prison because they broke a law they sinned all right if the law had been abolished there would be no sin in the world so what i'm saying is first of all you just when you hear you know recently on a program someone asked me what do you do when your church your minister is teaching that the law has been abolished and been nailed to the cross and i told him to get out of that church you know if you stay in that church and you tolerate this nonsense you're going to have to give an account to god for your lackadaisical passive you know just i don't know why are you there do you like being lied to why, why why don't you make a stand why can't you stand up why can't you question the minister why can't you find another church that preaches truth like the one i belong to my church preaches truth well, number one i'm a part of it is one of the reasons it preaches truth but but that's another story but but i i don't i don't go to churches that preach lies and neither should you the new covenant is really about conversion and how that conversion is going to take place. You know, you go down in the waters of baptism, and you repent of your sin, the breaking of God's law. You go down in the waters of baptism, the burial of the old man, and you come up, and the water runs off your body, and a minister will lay his hands on your head and ask God, you know, he'll say something like, you know, Lord in heaven, we thank you for this person. This person stands before you clean, forgiven of all their sins and they at that moment they ask god to give you a portion of his spirit and at that moment what i call the moment of conception if it's real and if you are sincere that is your conversion is real if it's real and you are sincere god will grant you his spirit and a new creature in christ starts to develop and god says i'm going to write my laws the character my character i'm going to write upon his heart and upon his mind you know the solution the solution to our sin problem is not just forgiveness forgiveness of our law breaking god is creating a new creature in christ that no longer desires to sin that is to break god's law and it doesn't happen overnight it doesn't happen the moment you come up out of that water of baptism that is god changing your desires but it will happen i can guarantee you that it will happen to a true Christian, to a true Christian who has the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit of God. And it's just a shame that too many Christians, instead of trying real conversions, where God says, I'm going to write my laws upon their hearts and their minds, opt out for a no-law theology where they say, it's not my sin that's the problem, it's the law that condemns me. Well, I'm David Freeman, just reminding you, never forget that God never gave a bad law. For more information, check us out online at isthatreallyinthebible.net. Listen to the podcast, watch the weekly program, worship with us on our weekly Sabbath service, and be sure to visit our free bookstore. Again, the website is isthatreallyinthebible.net.